0: What's up, folks? Welcome back to a new episode of The Water Cooler. I'm excited to be talking with you today before we jump into all the good sports news that's happened over this last week. Be sure to check out The Water Cooler on Instagram at TWCPod, at Facebook. You can find us streaming on Millions. Go visit our profile. Check out all the good merch we've got. You know, Christmas is coming right up around the corner. Be sure to get your girl, your parents, your mother a good uh, water coolers t-shirt, hat. We got all the good you could possibly want and more, so be sure to go give us a further look. I hope you enjoy the show, but to just jump right into it, I think the best way to get started is a quick update on college football. We're at that point in the season where not a whole lot's happening, but the few things that are happening are relatively interesting. So the biggest news piece of the weekend in regards to college football was all of the drama surrounding the Michigan-Penn State game, particularly with Michigan coach Jim Harborough, who found himself suspended for the final three games of Penn State season, this being the first of three, for sending scouts in-person, advanced scouting, and sign stealing. So essentially, whenever Michigan would be playing somebody one game or a couple games in advance, Harborough would send somebody from the Michigan faculty or staff, I've been in college too long, faculty, from their staff to go try to observe their signs see if they could figure out what their play calls are things like that and he got caught so he's been suspended for the last three games the suspension wasn't announced until he was getting on the plane to go travel with the team to pennsylvania college station penn state and it was a big shock to the team obviously it's one thing to know a week in advance you're not going to have a coach but To find out you're not going to have a coach as you're traveling to the game, it kind of throws you for a loop, I can imagine. Now, Penn State has some experience with this because for the first three games of this season, Jim Harborough was suspended for recruitment violations. So there seems to be a common theme here that Jim Harborough may not be the most up-and-up college football coach that is currently active. So, I mean... Obviously, there's going to be an investigation to prove for sure, but no one college football, I mean, he probably did it. Uh, it also is crazy how seriously this country takes his college football when there's a federal court investigation involved if whether or not Jim Harborough will be able to repeal his suspension and what the status of that will be going forward, so... Just in case you thought that maybe Americans didn't take football seriously, a federal court judge has to spend his morning at some point this week worrying about whether or not Jim Harborough can coach the Wolverines for the next two games. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think what he did was that big a deal. I mean, in sports, sign stealing, it's just, it comes with the game, coaches, on athletes these are competitive people hyper competitive people which is how they got to this level to begin with i mean it's to be expected is it cool no i mean it sounds like he was videotaping the signs which is somewhat different i guess but it's not like they were doing some type of astros operation where they had their defensive ends wired up and they were able to signal to them what the offense was about to run so they could do a better job at breaking through the line i mean obviously that would be a massive ethics violation but i mean recording signs just doesn't to me seem like that big a deal i mean when you watch college football games i was watching old miss in georgia you can see when lane kiffin was giving instructions He holds his little play call menu. To me, it reminds me of the Waffle House menu. Just If you watch any college football game, you can see the coaches will be walking around with that little colorful sheet, and he holds it over his mouth so they can't see what he's saying if you're watching on TV. Because I've always said, if you're a coach and you want a competitive edge, just have somebody watch the game. Because inevitably, there will be points throughout the game where – Either they're interviewing the other coach and they're talking about, Coach, what can you do to, you know, do a better job next half? And he'll say, like, oh, you know, we really need to try to get the offense, you know, uh, going. need to run the ball more or whatever. And so if you have somebody watching the game on TV and say, hey, they're going to run the ball more, say, like, all right, bet, let's focus in on that. I mean, it just took me, I don't know, three games. At this point in the season, I think it's a little much, but I guess you have to try to pretend that this isn't something that all college football programs do. And so, unfortunately for Michigan, Jim Harborough has to take the ball. But it didn't stop them against Penn State. They had a really good game. It was one of those like knockdown, drag-out, just slug-fest games where the quarterbacks both threw for under – 80 yards both of them which is crazy and only like the rushing leader for Michigan had like 145 rushing yards so this was just like fighting for every inch type game that was really exciting to watch uh Penn State you know was close for the first half Michigan kind of started to get ahead at the in the second quarter but it was still kind of close but then Michigan was just able to capitalize on a couple of critical mistakes and you know wrap it up. I think they won by 11. So the college football rankings this week had absolutely no change. And I said last week, the key things to look for going into the season were Georgia's three consecutive games against ranked opponents, Michigan versus Penn State and Michigan-Ohio State playing each other. So just in the last two weeks, we're already down half of those. And so far, nothing's changed because Georgia absolutely crushed Ole Miss. They cut through Ole Miss's D line like it was butter. And it was 52 to 17. It started off just rapid fire offense. I think Ole Miss scored. Georgia scored. Ole Miss scored again. Georgia scored again. Then Georgia scored again. Then Georgia scored again. Georgia scored again. I mean, it was. To start off with, it was very back and forth, but then Georgia just took off and left Ole Miss in the dust. And that was, at least as far as the rankings go, Georgia's toughest opponent they've played all year, and it was 52-17. to So they play one more ranked opponent next week. Tennessee, who just had a startling loss yesterday, they're probably going to drop, if not out of the top 25, then, at the very least, they're in the 20s now when they were 13. But Georgia has beaten two out of their three ranked teams. So we'll see if they can do the gauntlet. I'm willing to bet they will. And Michigan has beaten Penn State. So now it just leaves Georgia versus Tennessee and Michigan versus Ohio State as the main two things left that could shake up the rankings. But now, Florida State did have a close game against Miami this weekend. They won by a touchdown, so maybe they could get knocked off. But, I mean, just based off of their schedule, I don't really see it happening. I mean, they play Florida, who hasn't been that great this year. And they play Northern Alabama next week. So, I mean, those two teams, I don't see it. But with rivalry games, you never know what can happen. Uh, Alabama absolutely destroyed Kentucky. So they have clinched the SEC West in the final year that there will be an SEC West. So going all the way back to the establishment of the division, Alabama was the first champion, and in their final year, Alabama was the champion. So they have bookended the SEC divisions. And they will be going to Atlanta for the SEC Championship game, likely against Georgia. So, we'll see how it goes. If I'm a betting man, I'm putting my money on Georgia, but you never can tell. If any team will find a way to choke away a seemingly cakewalked season to the National Championship against Alabama, it will be Georgia. That being said, I say Georgia with 60-40 odds of beating Alabama. And moving on to the NFL, I haven't really talked about the NFL in a while, but the Eagles have by far been the best team of the season. They have an 8-1 record with Jalen Hurts doing solid. He's not like an MVP conversation quarterback at the moment, but he's number seven in QBR, And, you know, QBR for me has always been the go-to stat when it comes to gauging how well a quarterback is doing. But I'm not too sure how valuable it is in determining wins because Josh Allen is currently first in QBR, where the Bills have just been having a completely mediocre season, a 5-4 record. The Chiefs and the Ravens currently have the best record in the AFC with 7 and 2 respectively and the next two top teams have 6 and 2 records and the AFC is just completely trouncing the NFC at this point because like i just said there are four teams in the AFC with 6 and 2 records or better and if you go to the NFC there is only One team that has a 6-2 record, and then the Eagles are 8-1. So they have two teams that have six or more wins, where the AFC has four. and Everybody else is just in the middle of the pack. So I think that's interesting, but it does come down to whether or not, even though the AFC is a lot more top-heavy, there is an argument to be made that the eagles are the best season or the best team in football so despite being a weaker conference the nfc could still come away with the super bowl if the eagles can you know continue their streak in the playoffs now you could also argue that the eagles are only 8 and 1 because they're facing weaker competition but I guess we'll have to see and find out in a couple months which depiction of events is more accurate. Now I spoke too soon on the Ravens because they did lose to the Browns 33 to 31 today. So they're seven and three now. But the Browns had a massive comeback when when I was when I was writing down my notes for this episode, the Ravens were actually up 17 to 3. But now that I'm looking at it, the Browns scored 16 points in the fourth quarter. So there you go, Ravens. That's a way to choke away what should have been a cakewalk win. But, I mean, that's it happens a lot in sports where one team, and it's kind of like what I was hoping Penn State could do against Michigan. They're able to stay in it and just be within striking distance and weather that initial onslaught and come back and win, whereas in Michigan and Penn State, Penn State, they hung in there the whole game, but in the fourth quarter where the Ravens wilted, Michigan just put on the gas and maintained that lead. I think they might have even got a field goal or something or a touchdown to just extend it just out of Penn State's reach. So, unfortunately, it seems like my notes jinxed the Ravens, but I stand by my point. I don't know. I think we're on the road to a Super Bowl rematch between the Chiefs and the Eagles right now, but I'm taking the Eagles to win at this time, just because the Chiefs call it the Taylor Swift curse or not, they just haven't felt like a Super Bowl contender this year. Obviously, a contender, but they just they don't have the same oomph to them that they had last year, and it's only really in sports conversations or when it comes to music where you can just say the word and people just know what you mean like you just watch it and you know in wrestling they call it having it and they just have like an it factor and the chiefs had it last year i watched them this year they just don't have it so maybe maybe they can find it maybe taylor swift will shake it off and it'll land in their lap but (laughs) until that happens i'm taking the eagles for the super bowl this year Now, I was just hyping up Alabama and talking about how they're just going to be able to go to the SEC championship, but their quarterbacks are not doing so hot in the, or their more recent quarterbacks, I should say, have not been doing so hot in the NFL. Now, the two of the best Alabama exports are two of the best quarterbacks in the league. You've got Tua, who statistically is the best quarterback in the league. And then you have Jalen Hurts, who's, like I said earlier, top seven QBR, quarterback for the best team in football right now. He's doing who has live sports commercials, for what that's worth. So Jalen Hurts and Tua, they're out there. They're doing great things. But Matt Jones and Bryce Young have been piddling at best this season. Matt Jones has the 25th best QBR out of 32, I believe, is the – Number of quarterbacks in the NFL right now. And somehow, Bryce Young is even worse than that, who is 31 out of 32, or he's second worst, whatever the number actually is. Now, Bryce Young, I'm giving more rope to because it is such a blessing and a curse, I feel like, to be the number one overall pick in any sports league. Because on the one hand, you make the most money coming out of the draft. It's like a prestigious position, you're the number one pick. But also that means you get picked by the worst team in the league more likely than not. I mean, it's possible that they can trade picks in advance and you end up like James Worthy being drafted by the Lakers when the Lakers get somebody else's pick and they get to draft early, even though they're a great team. But usually it's the sucky teams that are in the draft lottery. So if you're the first-round draft pick, you're going to a horrible team. Right now the Panthers are 1-8. And Bryce Young had just not been able to get any momentum going. Now, you can blame it on him. You can blame it on his O-line. Probably a little bit of both. But Matt Jones has been in the NFL for about three years now. So he does not get the slack that Bryce Young gets. He got absolutely lit up by Bill O'Brien on the sidelines today after he threw a pick in the fourth quarter. Belichick benched him. On the final drive, Patriots lost, I believe. So as of my writing, they were 2-8 and eight in the season. I think they're probably either, yeah, they're 2-8. and eight, So I wrote it down after their game was over. But it was just sad to see somebody who at Alabama was a stud and somebody who going into his NFL career, rightly or wrongly, was being compared to Tom Brady, mostly just because they were both relatively unathletic white guys. But he had big shoes to fill, and he had just not been doing it. And anybody who was arguing Bill Belichick's side and the whole who deserves more credit, Brady or Belichick, their argument has just been getting harder and harder every year since Tom Brady has left. Because right now the Patriots are 2-8. and eight. Like I said, they just have not been doing anything at all ever since Tom Brady has left. So that's just something I found interesting. Uh, speaking of not doing anything at all, the worst quarterback in the league as far as QBR goes is Zach Wilson. So the Jets, without Aaron Rodgers, have been rudderless as well. They have been 4-4 four and a four record. So, I mean, like they're not horrible. They're not like the worst team in the league. But it's just one of those seasons where their season was basically over 35 seconds into the game. or into it. And now they're just taking a knee, trying to survive and get through. And Zach Wilson, whenever Aaron Rodgers does come back healthy, really needs to look into getting some quarterbacking advice from one of the best in the league. Now, in regards to Aaron Rodgers, his former team has not been doing good at all. Somebody who probably could have used more consulting with Aaron Rodgers before he left with Jordan Love. Now it's time that oh, we addressed the fact that they didn't have a great relationship. Obviously Aaron Rodgers was notably furious when the Packers drafted jordan love so it stands to reason that they probably just didn't spend a lot of time chatting it up about the greater specifics on how to be an elite quarterback but the packers are three and six they're clearly going into a rebuild and we'll just have to see how it pays off but i don't know seeing the packers without aaron Rodgers, it kind of feels like Uh, The Bulls without Michael Jordan, not that Aaron Rodgers is anywhere near as great in football as Michael Jordan was in basketball, but it's like they're probably going to struggle for like a while before they go back to what we expect the Packers to be in the NFL landscape. Which is unfortunate because, I mean, as much as sports fans complain about the same teams always being good, And it would be nice to see a year where, I don't know, the Titans go all the way or, like, are a great team. It's always good, too, though, to see the historic franchises be historic. I mean, it's like, as much as people hate the Cowboys, but there's just something more fun about sports when you could get a Super Bowl where it's, like, the Cowboys versus the Packers, or whoever, I don't even know if that's possible, what their division is. But, I mean, something like that. It's like in basketball. Like, yeah, you know, the Lakers and Celtics always win, but, like, when you see the Lakers and Celtics in the finals, it's so exciting. And it just adds another level of hype around the event because you know these two franchises hate each other's guts. And, I don't know, it's just you just hate to see – the packers down their luck i mean ideally every team is or at least three-fourths of the league are viable playoff contenders but that's just not how things have been going in the nfl at least now over in the nba <laughs> you know i'm just going to start off with this because this is hilarious to me so james harden the clippers are 0 three since he's debuted with them he's only been playing a week they can still work out the kings but So far, he hasn't been playing too hot. He's been struggling. He's dropped uh, 17 points, 12 points, and 14 points in his last, you know, three games that's all he's played. And his assists have been pretty mediocre too. Like, it's not like I was talking last week where he's not scoring, but he can affect the game in other ways. He's kind of just been, you know, doing 14 points and five assists every night. But, and they got blown out by the Magic most recently, or the Mavericks most recently. And before they played the Mavericks, Mavericks announcer and former uh, front office person Brian Damaris went off on James Harden before the game. And it might be the greatest on screen assassination of any sports figure since Stephen A. Smith turned Kwame Brown into a complete joke. So I'm going to run down the entire quote, which was basically a two-minute verbal mauling of James Harden. And it was just entertaining as heck to see, and it was just so brutal. So he starts off, he's talking about my uh, James Harden's relationship with Daryl Morey when he first started with the Rockets. So this is me starting the quote now. You wanted a certain coach. They brought in Mike D'Antoni. You wanted to play a certain style. They played it. You wanted Dwight Howard. They brought him in and got rid of him when you were tired of him. You wanted Chris Paul. They brought him in and got rid of him when you were tired of him. They brought in your old friend Russell Westbrook. You wanted to go to Vegas on off days. They looked the other way. You wanted the team to stay over so you could go out that night. They changed the schedule to consult or to, uh, compensate you and it didn't work and you know what you said I'm going to break up with that team and that GM who gave me everything I wanted and I'm going to go chase the bright lights of New York I want to go be with my old pal Kevin Durant and after one year in New York you wanted it out you wanted back with Daryl Morey and somehow they managed to trade Ben Simmons for you how did they pull that off you went there and you got a partner who was an MVP and what did you say afterwards they didn't hand me the reins. You were the point guard. You were holding the reins. And what did you do when you had the reins? You scored nine points in game seven against Boston. You blew a three to two series lead. So they fired their coach. Not good enough still. You broke up with the guy who believed with you again. And you said, The bright lights of LA, that's where I want to go. Let's see if that works. Listen, James, if you ever have those friends who have bad roommates constantly, You know, at a certain point, they aren't self-aware enough to admit they're the bad roommate. They're the problem. Hey, James, you're the problem. And so, just watching the clip, I found a clip on Twitter where it's that little tirade, and it's put over the beat to Ether by Nas, and it just makes it ten times better. And you can see the guy's co-anchors are just sitting there like, their eyes are bug-eyed. They're just like doing those that awkward smile that only media people can do when something goes off script. <laughs> and they're just like, uh. And it's so funny to watch. A lot of people are mad. They said that it was unfair of him to go off on James Harden like that. They said that it was destructive and not constructive criticism. And where I stand on that is, yeah, you can say it's destructive but you can also argue it's just observational everything the guy said is true and i don't think you should criticize media members for going too hard at somebody as long as what they say is within the pocket of what they're supposed to do as media now i think we've gotten so used in today's time with media always having a slant one way or the other And using what are questionable, I guess, facts, you could say, to support their points. But, I mean, you can maybe not like how strongly he came down, but I don't think you can disagree with any of the points that uh, Brian Damaris made to make his point. Now, his conclusion that James Harden is the problem, you might could disagree with that. But... He certainly got a lot of evidence that if you do disagree with it, I would love to hear the rebuttal. Now, I mean, me and when Levi's here have criticized James Hart in the past, so obviously we align more with the Brian Damaris view of things. But I don't think it's unfair of him to make his point in as harsher manner as he sees fit. And his whole pitch, I didn't include this in the quote, but he was saying this, As if he was talking directly to James Harden. He said that he wanted James Harden to listen to this and to take responsibility and to own up and be the player that he should be, you know, all that stuff. And I mean, maybe maybe at the end of it, I don't know that they've said all all the criticism was centered around the fact that that was deconstructive, not constructive. So. I don't know, maybe they would have preferred if after he said all of that, he gave James Harden a path to improve his standing in the eyes of the media. But, I mean, I think it's pretty clear from the gist that he's more focused on the past and that he's saying James Harden's is a problem because he's always complaining to the front office about how unhappy he is about various things. I think if you pierce and come through the quote, he's essentially saying, listen to the people around you, don't be ungrateful, and just fall out. So, I mean, at least that's my take on it. You can think what you want, but I don't think it's unfair of him to say that when he's really just spitting facts. And if he spits a little harsh, maybe harshness is what's needed to get the point across. But the Clippers... Maybe they can turn it around. I mean, it's just one week with James Harden. People always love to take things a small sample size and blow it out of proportion. But, I mean, I don't know. If they're still losing most of their games a month from now, then, yeah, it's time to hit the panic button. Honestly, maybe like two weeks from now. (laughs) But I wouldn't panic yet if I'm the Clippers or if I'm a Clippers fan. Now, the Bucks, who also had a major acquisition in Dame Lillard, haven't really been able to capitalize on that because Dame was out hurt last week. And in his absence, Giannis and Chris Middleton have virtually been the only Bucks players on the court. So they lost a super close game to the Pacers 126 to 124, where Giannis dropped 54 points, and the only other player to score over 15 was Chris Middleton. Now, compare that to the Pacers, where they had three players score over 20 points. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton had 29. Benedict Mathurin, I've never heard of that man before in my life, but apparently he dropped 26 on the Bucks, so I guess he's decent. And Miles, he had 26, and then Miles Turner dropped 21 so, I've kind of been talking about this a lot lately, you know, in my World Series takes over the last couple weeks. But a good team effort will most of the times trump an amazing individual effort. So, Giannis dropping 54, but the rest of his team not even scoring over 15 except for one other player, it kind of cancels out. Whereas, if you have everybody scoring like and you've got three people, in they t- scoring in their 20s. You've got maybe, like, three people scoring in, like, the 10 to 12 range, Then everybody else is dropping five to six apiece. Like, a team performance is just so much stronger. It's more solid. When everybody's firing on all cylinders, it's really hard for even one amazing player to top that. And so they almost were able to, but not quite, like I said, 126 to 124. Now, it wasn't close against the Magic. They got whooped 112-97. to And once again, Giannis had 35, and nobody else scored over 15 this time, not even Chris Middleton. Uh, Giannis, for his part, he was trying to get people involved. Him and Middleton both had seven assists, so it's not like Giannis was just scoring and nothing else. He was trying to distribute, but just wasn't clicking, I guess. And sometimes that's just how it is. Your role players don't show up. But Dame should be back this week. So hopefully he can interject some life into the Bucks offense. Cause right now they are, I believe, five and four or something like that. They're just mediocre so far this season. But hopefully they can get that turned around. Cause I'm really hoping to see my Bucks and uh, nuggets finals and the nuggets are doing their end of it so far they have an eight and one record so hopefully they can continue that pace and we can see if Joker has it in him to repeat now if the bucks don't make the finals on the east side there might be a chance at the moment an early projection that the sixers do because they have been on fire without james Harden like the opposite of the Clippers. The Sixers have a seven and one record and Embiid has dropped forty eight against the Wizards last week. And that game was one forty six the Sixers to one twenty eight on the Wizards. Now how in the world do you let Kyle Kuzma score twenty eight points on you? That is just embarrassing. I mean NBA defense Sucks, we know that, but a team whose best player is Kyle Kuzma scoring 128 points, that's just sad. I mean, the 76ers had 146, so I guess they were just so focused on offense they didn't even care about defense, but still, that's just bizarre. Now, they had a tight game with the Celtics, and once again... They let Kristaps Porzingis score 29 points, and they held Jason Tatum to 16 Jalen Brown to 11. I mean, that's the definition of let the not-too-good players beat you, So I guess that strategy makes sense and it worked well for them. But, I don't know, that's just not something you're used to seeing when you scroll down a bot score is Jason Tatum 16, Jalen Brown 11, and Kristaps Porzingis 29 I thought I was in, like, 2015 when I read that. And Joel Embiid got 27. So, I mean, he's keeping them afloat. He's doing his MVP thing. So more power to Joel. Hopefully he can take the 76ers to the finals because I would say he's the best player in the league to never make the finals right now. At the very least, he's in the top three now aside from how good of a record they've been doing the 76ers had some bad news off the court this week with kelly Oubre getting injured he has a broken rib after getting ran over by somebody while he was walking down the street uh, i got an excerpt from a media outlet it says Oubre was walking near his home at about 720 On Saturday and was headed west on a street when a vehicle traveling in the same direction at a high rate of speed tried to turn south onto the street he was crossing the vehicle hit him in the upper chest area with the driver's side mirror and had a broken rib and the car fled the scene now getting hit at a high rate of speed in the upper chest area dude's lucky to be alive so Thank goodness it was only a broken rib, as horrible as that is. And unfortunately, in the NFL, there was a former cornerback for the Raiders who died over the weekend due to a car accident. Let me try to find his name real quick. But there was a six—I think a six-person injury. Over DJ Hayden. He was a 2013 draft pick. He was out of the league for a couple years, I believe, at this point. But he was only 33 years old. There were six people injured in the car crash. Uh, He's, I think, might be the only fatality so far. But it's just sad to see. You know, people don't often take the time to think about it, but life is short. And especially, you know, when vehicles are involved. Whenever you go and you drive every day, you don't kind of get desensitized just to how dangerous cars and motorcycles, trucks are. But they they are dangerous. And even the best athletes in the world can get taken down in a second by something that we just take for granted every day. So just more somber note to leave you with this week. Now... LeBron made the headlines for a take that he made about his own career. LeBron has gotten to be such a talking point that even LeBron is making hot takes about LeBron James. He said that he would have been as great as he is now if he never left to go to Miami. I've got to disagree. I th- well, two, There are two ways you can take this. One would he have as great a career if he never went to Miami or two, would he be as skilled of an overall player as he was in Miami? So I I've, I've said for years on this podcast that LeBron sold himself short when he left to go to Miami, because I think if he stayed and toughed it out in Cleveland, that he could have won a championship there. So I don't think that going to the Heat gave LeBron champion pedigree. I think he could have got it either way. That being said, I do think going to the Heat in the long run made LeBron a better player because it taught him the hard way how best to deal with media criticism. Because if LeBron had stayed in Cleveland, I think he could have gotten – A couple more years out of being the nice, you know, hero of the league, young athlete stud that we all love, LeBron James. And he was getting criticism for not winning, but it would not have been anywhere near the scrutiny he got after 2011, even going into 2011, after he left for the Heat. That brought the expectations for LeBron to a, just an absolute different level. So from that stance, him going to the Heat really prepared him and he threw himself into the deep end as far as dealing with media criticism because I don't think any athlete except for Kevin Durant has gotten more criticism from a single move than LeBron when he left Cleveland to go to the Heat. So I've got to disagree with LeBron on this one because I think going to the heat made him a lot mental mentally tougher than he otherwise would have. And as somebody who criticizes LeBron's mental toughness all the time, I mean, I don't want to sound hypocritical by saying the heat made him mentally tougher when I say he's not that mentally tough, at least compared to the Jordan and Kobe's of the world. But I mean still his baseline is higher for having gone to the heat, even though He does operate at the baseline most of the time. See this week when he once again passed out of a potential game-winning shot against the Heat to dish it to Cam Braddish, who missed a three-pointer. Now, LeBron fans will tell you he made the right basketball play. But when you're LeBron James, and even in year 21, you're the best player on your team, a top 10 player in the league, you're 6'7", six, 6'8", six, built like a tank, and you're driving to the room. I'm taking that as a smarter basketball move over piddling Cam Reddish shooting a three. Cam Reddish, who was wide open because he had been ice cold from three all game. It's just... Whenever I just watch LeBron play in big moments, he just lacks the killer instinct that I think separates the great players from the really, really, really good players. I mean, obviously LeBron's a great player, but I mean, like, that's why he, to me, cannot be the GOAT just because he lacks that Mamba mentality. That obviously he's better than Kobe, but Kobe just put a nice little label on. What athletes like Jordan and Tom Brady have that LeBron doesn't? Now, LeBron has said that he wants his legacy to be that he taught an entire generation of kids that it's okay to pass and that they should always make the right basketball play. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, sometimes passing is the right basketball play. I mean, when we see that with Jordan passing to John Paxton or... Jordan passing to Steve Kerr and Magic Johnson making just about any pass in his career. Passing isn't bad depending on who you're passing to. Now, people say that Jordan, you know, gets praised for passing because the shot went in and LeBron gets criticized because people he passed to, they missed. So he gets criticized. Yeah, that's the point. Jordan passed it to people. Who had the ability to make the shot? When LeBron passes in the clutch, a lot of times he does it to people who are pretty poor three point shooters. Like he passed to George Hill in the 2018 NBA Finals and sent George Hill to the free throw line with the game on the line instead of himself. He passed to Danny Grain in the 2020 finals and he bricked it danny grain who had been getting criticized the entire postseason because of how poor his three-point shooting is he passes to cam reddish who is a very poor three-point shooter whereas jordan was passing to steve Kerr, one of the best three-point shooters in the league if lebron had ray allen sitting out on the three-point line like he did in his heat days Nobody would criticize him because Ray Allen's one of the best three-point shooters of all time. So not all passes are created equal. And when LeBron does take the big shot, he makes them sometimes. There's just no reason that he shouldn't do it more often. I think he's really selling himself short because LeBron driving the basketball... As simple as it is, is one of the deadliest maneuvers in the NBA. But, I mean, just noticeably, his big shot against the Raptors in, I believe it was the 2018 Finals, could have been the playoffs, and he had a really good regular season game winner against Jimmy Butler, by the way, who was his primary defender in this play. Bam Adebayo came over for the help side defense. But for most of the play, it was LeBron driving on Jimmy. And he had a great pull-up jump shot against Jimmy when Jimmy was on the Timberwolves. So LeBron can do it. He just chooses not to. And to me, that's why he's not the GOAT. But final topic of the week, and this is more just fun speculation than anything, but the NBA was talking about the All-Star format, and they said that they have been considering doing an All-World versus Team USA format. Now, as somebody who has criticized the lack of top gay superstars wanting to compete for their country. I find this interesting just to see how good a Team USA really would be if you could assemble the Avengers. Now, side note, the Avengers have not been assembling at the box office this weekend. From what I've seen, the Marvels just came out, and people have been having some pretty mixed reviews about it so far. Uh, Probably not going to be checking it out but it has the lowest MCU box office of all time to this point so yikes as far as the state of the Marvel universe goes (laughs) anyways but I think it's an interesting concept I don't know how it would work because there's no guarantee that the amount of people that become all-stars will be evenly distributed between America versus the world. I mean, the way it works now, and I guess they could switch it, but you pick like 15 or 12 East and 12 West people, I guess they could change the voting blocks and make it 12 world versus 12 US, but that just seems kind of unfair to some players like, if the world is so much better than America, that 15 of the best players in the league are from the world side of things, it doesn't seem right that three of them don't make the all-star team just because of where they're from. That seems kind of discriminatory, honestly. But, interesting concept. We'll see. And so, in a preparation of maybe this potential all-star format, I made a 5v5 right now to see... What it would look like, in my opinion, if we did a Team USA versus Team World. And so, as far as my view goes, the Team USA starting 5 is Steph Curry at 1, Jason Tatum at the 2, LeBron at the 3, KD at the 4, and AD at 5. I think that's solid, but... I've got to give it to Team World, because Team World is Shea, Gildress, Alexander, Luka Doncic, Giannis, uh, Joker, and Embiid. So, as sad as it is for me to say, I think, at least in this five-on-five, the Team World is taking it over Team USA. It's a close game. I think... As far as Embiid versus AD, I think Embiid has just a much better array of post moves than AD if he's willing to bang down low. He's just bigger overall than AD. So I give him the advantage there. Joker versus KD, kind of the same thing. I mean, KD is more of a three. I move him to the four. And because of that, I don't think he can... Really withstand Joker in the post. At the same time, I don't think Joker can really take on KD either. So they kind of cancel out. Giannis is better than LeBron at this point. Luka and uh, Tatum kind of cancel out too. But I would give the slight edge to Luka. And then Steph versus Shea Gilders-Alexander. Steph better. So, I mean, I guess... On that logic, let's see. Team USA has an advantage of one overall, whereas Team World has uh, Giannis, has the advantage, Embiid has the advantage, and Lucas a three to one and a tie at the power forward position. So, that is my thoughts on a potential Team USA versus. The world matchup, I would have to take the world, but hopefully which Adam sport, Silver football or basketball. Like Siri doesn't know what she's doing. But anyways, hopefully Adam Silver will continue to investigate. There's no in- one in your contacts name, Dylan. Whose contact info are you looking for? turn my Siri off. No, no. there, there we go. That was weird. But I swear, all this technology—they're always listening to you, no matter what. But I wonder what—I wonder if Siri's taking the world or the USA. But anyways, hopefully they look into that. I mean, like I was saying about the in-season tournament, conferences are basically worthless at this point in the NBA. So anything they could do to Make the All Star game more interesting, I'm here for it. But that being said, that is the sports news for this week. And I will see y'all next week. Have a good one.